0: Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. All right, everybody, welcome back to our episode number two in the progression of the 65 B.C., Man, our legal guy told us we can't say what it stands for, but I think you all know what it stands for because Mark said it a while back on a podcast. Anyway, that's, I don't know, maybe that's insinuation. I think you you should say it
1: it. and we'll bleep it out.
0: Mm, It'll come out naturally at some point in this podcast. Okay, 65 BC. Now, in our previous podcast as part of this pod venture, Ryan, Mr. Ryan Muckinhern across the table from Mark and I. Bitch cat. He got in, uh, oh gosh, Uh, he said it. Um, he got into what is wildcatting. That is what we are doing here in that we are essentially creating our own cartridge. A cartridge that you can't find a factory loading of, a cartridge that you can't find a factory gun chambered in. You kind of have to do a lot of the work all by yourself to figure out everything from the chambering of the rifle. You know, you got to get reamers, you got to get reloading dies that are custom made. We even had to get custom brass. Luckily, we're using, we're not like turning our own projectiles or doing anything like that. That would no. be Ugh. the that's like next level. What do you even call that? Is that like wild bearing? Is that like like wild <sighs> wild
1: bowl. It, it goes a step above and beyond. Um wild it's been, bowling. It's been done before. People have done that. They've come up with interesting calibers. There's there's a couple of twelve and fourteen and nineteen caliber projectiles out there. And that kind of all came out of that, but okay.
0: Well, let's just let's stick with just the regular wildcatting yeah. with with factory projectiles. Yes. So at this point in time, and what you see, in, if you're watching on YouTube, in between us is a loaded cartridge. This is actually full on. I think last time we were in here, we had one that Ryan had hammered into a uh, 3D printed case or something along those lines. It was not an actual loaded cartridge. This is primed. With powder and projectiles seeded to our depth at the time being. But we got to get into how we loaded this. One, Ryan, there was a lot of studying and work that went into figuring out how, what kind of powder we were going to use, how much powder we were going to use. Also, this thing called seeding to depth. Admittedly, at this point in its history, in its infancy, it still has a lot of tweaking left to do, but we have arrived. We'll just spoiler alert this out right off the bat. We have arrived at a loading that we do feel comfortable enough to take out on our hunt. But And actually, we should say, it's actually a pretty high-performing
2: load. Oh, yeah. It's just that we feel like there's a lot of room. Like, we just merely really scratched is. the surface. And yet, if you were to look at it on paper, you'd go, that's pretty damn good.
0: Oh, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I, and so... Ryan, go into, you know, somebody decides they want a wildcat, right? Maybe they've come up with a design of some sort like you did on a piece of paper. Uh, you know, they've come up with the design and everything, and now they're even starting to get maybe some components for it. But in, in the end, you still have to put powder in it Yep, behind the bullet, and you got to set off a bit of an explosion right next to your face when you're shooting it. How are you arriving on the type of powder and the amount of it that we were going to start at that we could hopefully be safe enough to not blow ourselves up. Yeah, so a few things. Also, we're not liable for anything anybody does with this stuff after listening to this podcast.
1: Yes. So we looked at the case, what the parent case was, what some similar cases are, and kind of looked at what they were doing, what folks had been successfully loading with, what kind of numbers they were putting up, and what volumes, and just kind of applied it to this. And to, to single one out, a really successful, I'm going to call it a semi-commercial wildcat. Um, it's not factory chambered in anything, but it's, it's fairly prolific. Is the 6.5 Sherman Short Mag, hmm. which is a brilliant cartridge based off the 300 WISM or 270 WISM or 7 WISM case. And so we took that load data because we know our case volume is greater than that. We went down to about the starting loads of the 6.5 Sherman Short Mag and then walked up from there.
2: So we started pretty conservatively.
1: We did. We started really conservatively. Yes,
2: which I think is the smart play.
1: Yes, because I I learned a lot of things. And actually, I want to touch on one thing that we, we saw when we were doing the live fire thing. So when that video goes up, we mentioned a part about extractor marks on the cases. Yeah. And I was under the assumption that seeing that extractor mark likely meant Meant that the brass was potentially softer. And Scott Parks, who we work with, who we've had on the podcast before, who is a brilliant mind when it comes to reloading, gave me a theory. And he said this is very heavy brass, and yes. it's, it's very, it's very strong brass. And he noticed this when he's loading 65 five by forty seven Lapua, which is a really cool cartridge, also extremely strong brass. He said that on lower charges, that case is not expanding to meet the chamber as much as it would on a high charge and it's getting more rearward thrust and you're oh, oh you're seeing extractor marks that would otherwise indicate pressure earlier than you would expect to see that pressure and a lot of people get freaked out and back off because they're like okay I'm seeing a pressure sign right off the bat yeah and it's that's not necessarily the case
0: it needs to expand the chamber and almost yep. like it's almost like it's gripping onto the chamber so it doesn't
1: yes Okay. And extractor marks can be pretty subjective in the first place, just depending on the type of extractor you're using, Mm -hmm. what its material is, the spring poundage on the extractor, a lot of other things go into it. But Scott makes a really good point. And when I sat and ruminated on, on the statement that he made, I had mentioned when we were doing that live fire, I had been downloading 300 Weatherby with a different type of brass that was pretty soft and seeing that same thing occur. And now that I think about it, like Scott's theory, I believe, is 100% true. In auditing our fired cases, so I went through every single one of them and I looked at the case heads, the primers. I was looking for cratering. I was looking for bolt swipe. I was looking for any sign of undue pressure that would indicate we're getting to the threshold of dangerous here. And every one of the lighter charges had a more prevalent and prolific extractor mark than the heavier charges did. Oh. And when we got up to 60, it was there, but it was there so much... Like so light, it wasn't even worth mentioning. I think if you weren't looking for that kind of extractor mark or you weren't familiar with a Remington 700 extractor or ejector, I've been saying extractor this whole time. Ejector is the correct word, by the way. You'd never notice it. Very interesting. And so kudos to, to Scotty for picking that out. And I felt 100,000 times better when I'm like, oh, well, this whole time I've just been very skittish about ejector marks when yeah, a little bit of deductive reasoning could have brought me to a, you know, more solid Well, the I interesting know. thing I mean, there—that's
0: just deductive reason. I mean,
1: I think Scotty's loaded more powder in error than I will load in success in my whole life. While well, he's just been trialing and erroring things, so I'm gonna I'm gonna lend to his level of expertise uh, on that one.
2: It's super interesting though, because what you would take as like you're loaded too hot mm-hmm. is actually the opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I will also point out. During our reloading process, we wrote physically wrote on each case mm-hmm. the uh, the charge. And so, going back to your audit of the cases and what's going on, you could look at all the you could you know segregate out the different ones of the different charges and look for yeah yeah you know any signs of whatever.
0: Well, yeah, that's pretty. I think we have to get into that because that's that's pretty important. And some people might be asking like, you wrote on cases what? And you mentioned. 60 and then 55 and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So what we're talking about here is the powder charge, how many grains of powder we were using. Yes. So that is one of many variables that can be tweaked. And and forgive us if we repeat anything from our first episode. Talk about real quick some of the things that we can tweak with a round. Powder charge being one of them, how many grains of powder are going
1: in, but also type of powder, what else? Bullet seating depth, bullet weight primer type, all of these are going to potentially play huge into what we're seeing for velocity, accuracy, consistency, reliability, um, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, And so being very straightforward, the first attempt here was mostly a stab in the dark, utilizing that 6.5 Sherman Short Mag load data as a starting point. We started with this powder. We've got H4831 Shortcut, which is a really cool powder, really popular powder. It's one of Hodgdon's extreme powders, which means it's extremely temp-stable you know, mm. across the loading range. I've used it before in my 280 Ackley. I've been very, very happy with it. And if you look at some of the cases that are on there that have similar charge weights for similar bullet weights, it kind of falls into place. But this was one that came up on these load data reviews for the 6.5 Sherman Short Meg, often in regular. Um, another part of this is if you're a shooter or a reloader in our current state of affairs, powder is kind of hard to come by. So this was also the only powder that I could find that would fill this void, no pun intended, that was readily available in quantities that we needed to start doing the mm. workup, because we've already burned just about a pound of powder in, in low development.
0: And in typical fashion for us, uh, we're also, we've are also we been loading up the ammo and testing it for the first time about a week before our hunt. So. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty standard. What were some of the other powder options, though? Like, I know Scott discussed H1000, and there was even another one I can't remember, but uh, Reloader 26,
1: Reloader 33, H1000, IMR 7828, IMR 7828 shortcut. Any of the Magnum esque powders Mm -hmm. would be appropriate in this case. So, slow burning powders, right? This is a
0: relatively fast. Burning relatively. In
1: in terms of the slow burning powder category, it's on the faster side.
2: Yeah. Is that because it is a shortcut powder? Does that have anything to do with it, or that's just how it's made?
1: Yes and no. So its chemical composition has a lot to do with that too. Okay. So that's or I a, guess
2: yeah, that that wouldn't even make sense because I mean, that H one thousand, I think when we were talking a little bit earlier, that's a little bit more of a more voluminous powder. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay.
1: Yep. And then its chemical composition lends it to being slower burning. So I still really do want to try H1000 in this because I think that it will, I think there's going to be like a few tiers of of performance that we're going to see here. I think in a short amount of time, we're going to max out the case potential with this powder. And then when we go to something like H1000 or um, some of the vit powders or say IMR7828 or, or something like that, we're going to see another tier of performance level like achieved.
0: Oh, you think even beyond what this can achieve? Yeah. But yep. I thought that you can, since this has that real shortcut, I thought you can fit more powder
1: in it. Yeah, but you're gonna, you still burn rate's still going to come into play here. So okay. there, there's, I, I think like this one is going to get us to maybe like 90 of what the cartridge capability is, mm. and then mm-hmm. when we go to a, a like a real slow moving magnum powder like H1000, like 7828 or burning something, burning
0: all the way to the end of the barrel, pushing it, pushing it, pushing it,
1: or so to speak. Yep, okay. we're going to be able to achieve. I think better velocities, especially with some of those reloader powders too, like R L twenty six and R L thirty-three are renowned for producing bonkers velocity at pretty modest powder charges. So I, I think there's there's room to go and room to grow in this in this case with different powders. But where we're at right now is we just broke 3,000 feet per second. We're rated right around 3020, 3025 with a really quite modest charge of this stuff
0: with 60 grains of
1: yep. powder. And yep. we
0: started out, I mentioned 55 and 60, we started out at 55 grains. Yep. Cuz that was our real safe, you know, very unlikely to cause any problems yep. uh, loading. And then you opted to go up half grain increments from yep. there. So we loaded up Three at 55, three at 55 and a half, three at 56, all the way up, so on and so forth, to 60. Mm -hmm. And we also only had 100 pieces of brass, 100 uh, projectiles, all that stuff, too. And our hunt was in a week, so we weren't going to go up a giant ladder and have all this time. But it did kind of what we expected expected it to do and yeah. that it it just kind of kept getting better and better all the way up to 60 and we still have I mean even when you shake or when you uh, hold this projectile up and you shake it around you can hear the powder there's, there's still tons of capacity in there left over huge amount of room in here
1: so like the neck length the shoulder placement the cartridge overall length we had an idea that that is the kind of projectile we were going to be running like a, a heavier 6.5, they make heavier 6.5s and 142 grain bullet, but like in a bonded hunting weight bullet, this was kind of the goal that has a pretty darn high BC and these Nosler ABLRs have a very high BC. We wanted the bullet to seat uh, with like the rebate of the boat tail at about the neck junction, and, and we're there, like we're perfect. So we're, we're using as much of the case as we can for powder and not jamming a bullet down into it, but we're not exceeding cartridge overall length, which is really important um so that we don't have to start taking into considerations for like weird box magazine lengths or, right. or things like that. So like all those boxes are checked. Now it's just optimization of the powder charge into the case to get us to the velocity that we want and the consistency that we want. What I was really happy about was our you know our theories about like the case fill amount that we put in there for powder charge, and the SDs that we were seeing, mm-hmm. those worked out exactly kind of as we had theorized. Yeah. We, talk,
2: we, talk a little bit about how, like, our SDs in the beginning with those lower charges God were awful. pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. And now, with what we've tested, I mean, we're talking... Single digits. ...3,000 feet per 2nd We'll round down, yep. I guess. And an SD of six feet per second? Yeah.
1: So, which is really good. On virgin machine brass that I've never worked with before... Uh, we haven't even goofed with neck tension. We're not goofing with C2 depth. Uh, that was a, a rather arbitrary pick. I opted to go longer than short, or I should say I went shorter gap, longer C2 depth. Um, Explain that.
2: What? Say what you're saying
1: there. So Say what you're saying, so would you? The C2 depth with respect to the jump, so that the bullet's going to have to make from the uh, case, or I, or I should say rather to the the ogive of the bullet where the, the like the shank of the bullet, transitions into taper Yep. that jump on this is relatively short
0: okay so the that bullet is seated out such that it's almost at the lands and grooves of the rifling in. yep okay so if you were to seat it deeper it would be jumping further to yep. get to the lands and grooves but you you seated it out a little bit was that for safety at all or was that just sort of like a stab in the dark to see and if we need to bump Sit. it back from there we can stab in the dark
1: okay cool yep so I wanted to get us to like the minimum operating threshold. So we found where the lands and grooves are on the bullet or on the uh, chamber. Um, we seated a bullet in there with loose case te- case neck tension, and we closed the bullet, um, seating it incrementally until it cleared the lands and grooves. We made a measurement. We subtracted a few off of that, and that's what our C two depth is. Oh, yeah. yeah. So when we're measuring now, because again, this is all very new and and never been done before. We could measure based on cartridge overall length, and that's well and good, but different bullets have different ogive profiles, Mm -hmm. and a COAL may allow you to function and may not, depending on how your rifle's chamber is set up. So, And and certain bullet profiles are are going to prefer a lot of jump or no jump at all um, or something in the middle. So with this one at COAL, with this particular projectile and its shape, COAL would not have worked. We would have run into the lands and grooves, so we bumped it down just a bit to clear us. What's great is we're not we're not dipping into the powder capacity. We're not dipping into anything unusual. Like we don't have to seat a really long VLD stylish projectile way down in there. Yeah, yep. So it's it's still working well. It seems
2: like it struck almost the perfect balance
1: so far. Yep, so So far. far. And Mm -hmm. and who knows? I mean, we could we could bump that down. 10th, 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 until we find some magical sweet seating depth, or this could be it.
0: Perhaps. And why does that why does that happen? Because I know I've heard of some people where they'll even take factory ammo, and it's sort of the uh, quick alternative to reloading fully from scratch. They'll take factory ammo, and they'll just bump it down. And some people do that, and it's almost like this... Uh, Magical little tweak where you can just eke out a little. I don't know if it's more velocity or a little bit better
1: accuracy or a little sometimes bit sometimes both. How would the how does the C2 depth so affect if we were to go closer to the lands and grooves or let's say we just seated into the lands and grooves? And there are people sure. that do this, so no jump, so the bullet is absolutely at the lands and grooves. Is that what they call a jam? Yeah, you hear about jump and jam. Yep. is not a lot of like varminter kind of stuff, we'll some, do? some bench rest shooters, and, and yeah, oh. some varminters There's some risks associated with that and none that I'm willing to employ with a hunting cartridge. If you're seated into the lands and grooves, there's always a potential for sticking into the lands and grooves Mm -hmm. if that was not done exactly correct. And if it sticks, you can have a failure to feed, you can have a failure to extract, you can have a stuck projectile. Now, Mm -hmm. it's not a situation necessarily that we would run into, like we could double load it because the bullet is long enough, like this one, you'd run into the other bullet. It wouldn't work, right? You couldn't induce that level of catastrophic failure. But if we jam it, the potential is always there to stick the case, or stick the bullet, rather, in the in the barrel. You know, upon closing the bolt, especially if you closed it aggressively, that thing gets jammed in there, stuck in there. You go to extract. If you were lucky enough, you get the case to come out. You get powder all over everything. Now we have a potentially unsafe situation there. Um, Because there's a
0: bullet stuck in the...
1: And then there's powder. So let's say we even cleared the bullet out. Now there's loose powder in there. I mean, this would be like going down the ultimate fail boat rabbit hole. Right. So I I didn't really want to do that.
0: I bet if it were like, and this is just an assumption here, based on what we learned from Isaiah when we were at the gunsmith, but if you got, uh, let's say it was raining and there was fluid in there, and then now you have this really tight, Area if if no area at all between the bullet and the lands and grooves yep. and now you get a little bit of water in there and now you have hydraulic pressure
1: also pressure spike yeah way up huh yeah hmm. so I didn't want to do that okay right yeah I'm okay. glad we didn't do that yeah, yeah, yeah. so this can increase pressure as well right so if you're jammed up there you can you can spike your pressure right even with a modest charge and this can be advantageous and it can be unintentionally I'm going to say dangerous I don't know that it would necessarily create catastrophe, but I guess it depends on the load that you're running and maybe the action style and the brass and a lot of things. Well, it might uh, significantly alter the course of your day. Correct. Lowering that seat to depth or like dropping the bullet deeper into the case for a period of time can decrease pressure potentially because we're getting further off those lands and grooves, but seating deeper into the case can also increase pressure because now we're seating a bullet deeper into the case. We're closing the amount of air volume
0: that's Mm. in there or
1: we're compressing a powder charge. So there is a happy medium there. Okay. Um, Some of it is associated with the case design um, and the bullet design. Some of it is associated with the chamber design and how that was laid out. When we were working with the folks at PTG to develop the reamer for this, um, one of the questions they asked is what style of bullet do we intend on running here? And, And Dave was specifically asking about, like, ogive profile. And the question was, are these going to be the super aggressive... Razor sharp OGI profiles, or is this going to be something more along the lines of, say, the Barnes LRX, the Nozzler ABLR, the Hornady ELDXs, yep. and, and things that yeah. have less of um, like a, like think Burger VLD um, right. OGI profile. Like some
0: sort of precision match bullet for yeah. long range hitting steel.
1: Yep. Yeah. Like this is a hunting round through and through. So we wanted to use hunting bullets through and through. Dave made the necessary changes to that. Uh, chamber Reamer um, with respect to the dimensions for the ogive, so that we could be successful with this kind of bullet. Um, so right now it's a short gap; we are jumping, but it's a short gap. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll play with that more uh, when when we have the time to do so. So yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, I think for hunting, and and this is the style of bullet I've been using mm. a lot lately for hunting, just because I've been you know I guess a little bit enamored with increasing my effective range, right? And it's kind of. Um, for a quotation mark hunting bullet, pretty slippery. Yep. You know, when you're talking BCs yep. and profile. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah, for sure. Man, and so we went through and we loaded them, we loaded all these up. Now, in the loading process, mm-hmm. let's discuss that a little bit because we have brand spanking new brass. Um, so, right off the bat, we had to uh, prime it. Uh, you also went through, you did the chamfer, deburr kind of thing around the neck. Yep. I guess I was surprised. I wouldn't have thought that that would have been necessary because this is coming from inexperience, only having ever reloaded mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that our first ever pod venture. I guess I didn't realize. I just always thought that was something you kind of had to do when you were using essentially used brass, sure. you know, already fired brass. Uh, but in this case, the brand new brass, we also did the chamfer thing around the neck. Yep. Is that that's just something you do with all
1: uh, brass when you shoot? You know, with reloads, a lot of times if it's my brass, like I did it, in the beginning stage. And I don't know how much of this is just like anal retentive process. Like you do this because you think it's supposed to help. And we talked a bunch about that in the reloading podcast earlier, like things that reloaders do because we think they help. It's just something I always do. Uh, Again, brand new brass and I've never used machine turn brass before, I guess, except for five, seven by 28, which was a complete and total different story. But with respect to this, it was a sharp shoulder there. There was no chamfer cut into it. Like it was a straight, cut across from from inside of the neck dimension, outside of the case, at the neck, and then at the top of the mouth. Um, so we chamfered it. I don't think it hurt us, but I, yeah. I do think, like, if we go pull some of the fired brass that we have, that chamfer still exists there. Okay. I don't know that it needs to be redone. And in cases that I've reloaded for myself with other calibers that I've reloaded before, I won't go back necessarily and re chamfer, re unless that case, like, got a dent in it. Um, from, like, an extraction cycle Mm -hmm. or it hit the concrete or it hit a rock on the eject. Um, I I won't necessarily do that again. Um, So we did do that. One thing we noticed right off the bat is the primer pocket was exceedingly tight. Um, Oh, yeah. So tight that ram priming with the press was, on a number of cases, an impossible function. Um, Getting to the point where we're going to deform primers, there's a potential safety issue here, you know— It'd be difficult to do, but you could touch primer off if you went ah, you know, stabbed at it. So we opened up the primer pockets a little oh, bit. Oh, if
2: you left it, I guess more proud or exposed. You mean? No,
1: or... I mean like on the priming function. Oh, yeah. on okay. the press. Never yeah. mind. Yep, because yeah. you're getting Copy after it. And just yeah. And it it would be very difficult. to That do. wasn't uh,
0: the sound effects board. That was just me.
1: That was incredible. That was... That is the, sound. That was the Are sound they labeled like so Obama? far? Hey, we got, we've,
0: there's little pictures. So oh, far, we've wow. avoided that sound. There's some pictures. I've always wondered how I those shouldn't worked. have said that. That's that's mean.
1: Anyway, um. <laughs> so yeah, we did have to tune those primer pockets up a little bit in order to make. And we did that by using a primer pocket um, chamfer debur tool, usually used to cut open. Uh, staked primers. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, it removed exactly the amount of material required to seat adequately. Did you with... say
0: you lubed it up a little bit too?
1: Yeah, so I'm going to catch some flack for this one. So those of you listening who are like, you're going to destroy yourself. Um, no. So we used a dry film lubricant. Yes. So we applied the dry film lubricant to the primer pocket and then I goofed around with the rifle for like 15 minutes and that dry film lubricant is completely dry. Um, there's no like liquid contaminant going on there. Um, and they go in like butter, like hmm. absolutely fine. Um, not excessively light. So it's not a situation where we're going to like have primers come back out under, gotcha. under firing. Um, but they load as they should. Okay. So yeah, absolutely. Um, went on, went on some reloading forums there and, and was looking at people doing it in the past. A lot of the folks were using sizing wax, which I wouldn't have done hmm. personally, just because it, it's like, a Like it's a material, like you get it on your fingers and it's wet and it Mm -hmm. doesn't really dry. Yeah. It stays in, it stays in this wet state. Um, And there is a potential for primer contamination that, that goes on there. Yeah. Using that dry film lubricant after it's been added to it and there's been adequate cure time, like you can't, you you can't like contaminate anything with it because there's no liquid in the process. So that worked out slick. No pun intended. They loaded right up. Everything was good to go.
2: That's one thing, you know, these little uh, modifications, if if you will, that we've done, slash you've done, Ryan, throughout this process. But, and Jim, you were talking about this earlier. Whenever you're doing something like this yourself, and you were talking
0: shockingly, giving a car analogy, right? I tried doing it off the podcast, but now you're bringing it into the podcast. Well, I'm bringing
2: it, I'm just saying, like, it's not going to, it's likely not not going to go perfect. And
0: you're going to have yeah. to do a little. Well, I think because everything that you did prior to this was on paper. Mm hmm and you're doing something that's custom, totally new, never been done before, nobody's ever seen it to be able to tell you, oh, well, hey, just so you know, you're going to want to open that up a tenth or a thou or whatever. You're going to want to do this a little different. You're going to want to do that. Yeah. You are paving the way. So if you're doing this, I would say you you never want to go in expecting. It's, it's the worst thing you can do. I mean, you see it in all kinds of custom projects where everybody gets starry-eyed, and they think, you know, well, if I just do this and I do this and I do this and I do this, everything's going to work, it'll, it'll go great. It never happens. I mean, maybe once in a million. And if it does happen to you, brag about it. By all means, please do. And I'd say this is going pretty good. This is going actually very good. And thank God we have Ryan. uh, Because otherwise, if Mark and I would have been trying to wildcat something a while ago. (laughs) Yeah. That would have happened. Eaten by a bear afterwards. I thought that would sound a little bit more like somebody going like, oh, but it's oh. just it's a bear, so it didn't work.
2: But, yeah, but, um, you know, anything that gets perfected over time. Oh, here come the cops. Yeah, there they are, the um, ambulance. There's a trial and error process. And, obviously, you know, we're kind of doing this, you know, based on a lot of trial and error with other cartridges. But when you want to perfect something, you got to do all this stuff along the way. And we're on hopefully on our way to perfecting the 6.5 BC.
1: Yeah, and a couple things to note, too. I'm not a ballistician. Nor am I a gunsmith, nor am I a metallurgist. I've reloaded a lot, Uh, been I I guess accustomed to doing it for a while, so it it has been very much a learning experience for me. Um, Yeah, it's
0: weird seeing you learn stuff about cartridges. It's
1: not a plug and play operation. Um, Like so, on the primer pocket size. So when we ordered the cases, and I was working with the the crew, Jeff and Trey over at RCC Brass, like it's a pretty arduous process. So this is not something. I'm going to say that you do on a Friday. It took a couple of months of of working through it all, talking about what works, what doesn't. I mean, everything from the extractor groove depth, rim thickness, even the case heads. So we we have them. Um, is the word monogrammed? Used? Sure. I think so. They're they're engraved with uh, the cartridge designation and a couple other things on the back of it the placement of those and the depth of those is critical to making sure that the case is safe and, and like sure. still maintains integrity um, on an extraction cycle. So anyway I digress I told them what primers I intend on using right So they took a lot of primers and measured the diameter and the like the depth of that primer would see to and that was their lot of primers right my lot of primers is different. Very Even though
0: it is the same, same primer. Primer. If yep. you looked at it in terms of a skew online when you're ordering it online, but the lot was different.
1: Yes. So a few things I don't know yet because we haven't gotten this far. Did the primer pockets stretch after firing? Oh, I'll be able mm-hmm. to tell you when we reload the fired cases. Right. Um, it could be that they stretch exactly the amount they need to primer seat beautifully, or are these primer pockets on absolutely the bottom? of the tolerance. Like we could not go any tighter and this is how they all would be. That's also a real potential things. I'm going to note when I follow up with the guys over at RCC is that the primers were tight. And so they can go in and make an amendment to the print to open those up very subtly. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to take a few now uh, that we found a good process for opening those up. I'm going to measure them as, as best I can with the equipment I have and let them know what I come up with. Um, and see if they can amend the print so that on the next batch of brass, if we order it or if I order it, if somebody orders it, those primer pocket dimensions are going to be a little more forgiving because they are they are too tight. I mean, it would, it would have almost been a showstopper if we didn't have the tool, right? We would have had to improvise yeah. somehow. Um, thankfully, we had the tool, so that wasn't a big deal. Other than that, no exterior changes noted yet. Nope. So every everything is going swimmingly. Like Mark was saying, our theories on... Case fill with respect to, like, deviation and velocity numbers held true. Mm-hmm. When we were at low case fill, we had anemic velocities. Um, we really were doing yeah. nothing more. 2,700 feet per second. Yep. So th- then this
0: Which is considering a- Considering when you hold this next to, you know, and I, I don't think we have one right here Unless that is
1: that a 6.5 Creedmoor? Well,
0: it's, no, it's not. No. I've got some um, in my truck. But I mean, that's 6.5 Creedmoor velocity, and a 6.5 Creedmoor is way smaller.
1: Yep. Yep. So then this is a fun learning experience about case design and how it can help modify pressures to get you places with small powder charges. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we are, we're like 15 grains higher than a 6.5 Creedmoor charge at the same velocity.
0: That is so weird. It's that, that's a great visualization of when I know we've asked in the past in certain podcasts, you know, you say, why does it seem like everybody just takes a cartridge and makes it a little shorter and necks it down? That's And why. that just makes it magically better. Yep. You know, they're doing certain things that are changing the way the pressure occurs in there, which can make something really efficient or very inefficient. Mm-hmm. And yep. usually they're starting with a relatively inefficient cartridge and making it more efficient. Yep. Which is it's it's pretty neat. It, the one the other thing, and this goes into what you're talking about, Mark, when you're talking about marking the cases. So we did three of each at each half grain increment, and we wanted to make sure that we had enough brass left over in case something happened where we couldn't reload them in time or whatever. But uh, we had we only went from fifty five to sixty. In an ideal world, we'd have gone all the way up to who knows what until we saw pressure signs. Exactly. But uh, right now, we, we kept it between that. And I remember thinking to myself, um, so we, we wrote down on each case, you know, every single case. We write, you know, 55, 55, 55. Next one's 55 and a half. So that way we kept track of them. But uh, I remember thinking like, come on, Ryan, like a half grain of powder. Like, let's let's step it up a little bit. Let's push on the gas.
2: Well, and when you and see that half grain of powder come out, you know, when when the, the little, it starts to trickle and it's like trying to get that last half grain and you see what comes out. I mean, it really looks like, a couple kernels of powder?
1: It's not much.
0: Right. Yeah, we got the, uh, the whatchamacallit, the Frankfurt. Frankfurt IntelliDropper. Frank... Oh, yeah, that thing. But yeah, it's just going, eh, eh, I mean, to get that last half. So I'm thinking, like, there's no way, like, we're not going to see hardly any difference. And we're only going from 55 to 60, you know. But you noted you were the shooter primarily, mostly because Mark and I didn't want to blast our faces off, but also because, you know, we wanted to give you the, uh, the experience of being the first to shoot the cartridge you designed.
1: Um, had nothing to do with the preservation of self. <laughs> no,
0: not all. You know, not and, not all. and I'll say this,
2: you know, Ryan is an excellent, excellent shot. Fantastic he, shot. He shoots, shoots a lot. all the time. And, you know, we're looking, we are looking for consistency. Yeah, exactly. So you start throwing other shooters in the mix and you might, you know, because we are testing for accuracy as well. Like we're trying to see, you know, what kind of groupings we were getting. If we were getting a node. Yep. And, and so having kind of, I guess, uh, Ryan be the, uh, the gold standard. It made sense for most of that process you were the to, golden uh, egg. to have him be the shooter. Now Jim
1: the and atomic, I did shoot it.
0: The atomic clock.
1: They backed way up on the first shots. Well, <clears> you
0: know, <throat> it, and, and they should maybe happen. That was just that was just dramatic. If one of
1: us is going to go, well, why, why
0: take all of us out at once? I mean, <laughs> where was I going with this? Oh, the half grain thing. Yeah, you noted as the shooter. I remember there was a point when we went from, I think it was 60 to six or no, I'm sorry, not 60. It was 56 to like 56 and a half. And that one, you were shooting 56 and it was real soft. I mean, it was just like, it was hardly any recoil at all. And you went to 56 and a half and all of a sudden, or somewhere in there, you were like, oh, it just got a little snappier. Yep. And then we went up to, and you'll remember probably better than I, Ryan, but there was a time, another time too, where, we were seeing like 2,700 feet per second, 2,710, 2,720, and then all of a sudden it was like 28, mm-hmm. And then 28, 25, and then 29. It, it, we were just kind of hanging out in sort of no man's land for a while, and then we just went up a half grain, and all of a sudden it was a big change in the velocity and the standard deviations too. And I could visually at that point see, oh, there is a difference mm-hmm. in from just half grain increments can change things. Yeah. What were you feeling as the shooter? What were you noticing? You were obviously, obviously also studying the magneto speed, the yep. uh, chronograph that we had on the end of the barrel.
1: So you could feel when a couple things. There was a correlation between velocity and pressure increase and felt recoil. So, like the first shot was anemic velocity, and presumably, and I don't have. Uh, personal ballistics laboratory. I couldn't tell you what we were pushing for PSI. I have no idea. I don't even know where to speculate. But it was low pressure. Like the it, I mean it felt like a wet noodle. Like pfft. I remember
0: when it went off, I was kind of like <gasps> and then it went off and I was like,
1: "Oh, but it should <laughs> okay, have, right? I it guess. should have. Well, yeah, it, for safety's sake." Yeah. But because we weren't we weren't really remarkably higher. I want to say the first round over the chronograph is 2728. Um like the velocity was 2,728 feet per second. Like, it would be a spicy-ish 6.5 Creedmore. Mm-hmm. But in a more voluminous case, it's probably generating less pressure, and and it's a kind of heavy rifle. It's probably nine pounds, but brakeless. And it, it was just, bleh. <laughs> and And it was like, oh, okay. As we went up, as that recoil impulse stopped being longer and, and that impulse shortened up quite a bit, and it would be... From a push to a pop, you could see the velocity, of course, increase, the SD decrease, and presumably a pressure increase. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, it followed a very interesting kind of a stepped or terraced, sure. I don't know, layout if you want to call it that. So, and, and we'll plot these. I've got the numbers written down. As we go up in, in charge weight, we have incremental gain in velocity, and then we have like a very observed increase in velocity. Um, and then incremental, and then very observed, and then incremental, mm-hmm. and then very observed. And I, I think when we hit sixty, we were at the top of the next step. Like we yes. just gotten over it. That makes it. sense. We saw the SDs flatten considerably. We got down to a six, and we 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 had a pretty remarkable jump in velocity over the previous charge weight Mm -hmm. uh and and so i think that that'll ride kind of flat until we go the next increment up and then that trend will continue until we find pressure signs and then back off
0: yeah because i remember thinking like we started out at 27 28 and then i was like we're only gonna go up like five grains total by the end of the day and we're going up these half grain increments i was like we're never gonna get to three thousand. and sure enough midway through all of a sudden it was like oh nope we're on our way to three thousand for sure
1: yep and it was it was a really interesting accelerated curve and it'll be fun to start over with a different powder too, and see how that mm. performs. So it was very neat. I mean, it was very—I've never started that low in a charge weight for a case before. But then again, I've never had a completely new case to start with. Now I've—I've right. I've downloaded cartridges. Like I've loaded my three hundred Weatherby down to thirty out six. But it was like there was data out there. It was intentional. Like I, the expectation was there like i knew that that's where we were going to end up and i've loaded subsonics before and and like the expectation is there i had zero expectations i didn't really know what was going to happen it played out textbook though which was really cool so it's going to be fun to again continue up this ladder and figure out where the top is with this particular powder um, and then start a new ladder with a new powder and see where Mm -hmm. the top is of that yeah very interesting is that what you'll do?
0: Then you'll just kind of keep starting out ladders with new powders, mm-hmm. or then are you just going to try new powders and do ladders with that, or are you then going to go back to the original powder and then try new seating depths, and then back to the H one thousand and do new seating depths? And yeah. then yeah, I mean, there's there's seemingly infinitely many. Oh, we could, methods of experimentation that you
1: we haven't do even goofed thing. with neck tension.
0: I forgot about neck oh. tension.
1: Yeah. So right now there is. I mean, the neck tension we're running is whatever RCC brass set the diameters to like, that's, that's the neck tension we're running. We've got no bushings in the dyes. Um, We can't modify this. This is where we're at. Um, what, what we did have though, and we should point this out. We had two exceptional accuracy loads on mm-hmm. there. I want to say one was at 57 and a half and one was at 60.
0: Yeah, sub half minute.
1: Yep. 57 and a half was everyone like,
0: everyone was sub minute.
1: Yep. 50, but, 57 yeah. and a half was, was like getting to the ragged hole. Um, and then 60 was still really darn good. And we had horizontal dispersion of the group, not vertical. And I think that horizontal was probably more me than it was anything else. We were getting to the end of the day. We were getting done with a 30-round test fire cycle. Gun was warm. Um, Ryan was tired. The yeah. trigger is about 10 pounds. It's not great. Um, it's not great. So that'll change too. Maybe that'll help. Um, but yeah, so my, I think my intention with it is... I'm going to find out what we can do with this powder. Like, I'm going to try to find the ceiling. And then I'm going to, you know, we're going to record all this throughout this. We're going to take notes of exceptional accuracy. We're going to take notes of exceptional SD. And if if we find an SD that's really good, but accuracy is not that great, at that SD, or that charge weight that yields that SD, I'm going to monkey with the C2 depth. Okay. Okay. I'm going to see if we can get anything remarkable there. Or if we get to you know, a, a powder that shoots really good, but the S D is a little wild. We're gonna go down a few tenths, up a few tenths, and see if we can find something there to get that, you know, that dialed, that S D dialed.
0: Was I talking about C T depth and you're talking about tenths?
1: Uh no, tenths of powder. Oh. Uh, so we were okay. doing half grain increments. Oh okay, sure. Yeah. So if if we find if we find a great SD but not phenomenal um, accuracy, you know, maybe we monkey with the C2 depth if mm. we find phenomenal accuracy but not fantastic S D. Let's bump it up two-tenths. Let's bump it down two-tenths. Let's yeah. see if we so can— So instead
2: of, say, 61 grains of powder, you might do sixty one point two one or 61.2. Yeah. Or... Who knows?
1: Um, Operation Discovery at the moment. <laughs> and there could there could be something exceptional there. There may be nothing there. But I want to find the top, and I want to find where it is with this powder— I'd actually come up with some like real load data, mm-hmm. yeah. Because uh, right now we have real good guess load data, and I would like to. We find have some. something
0: that is fieldable.
1: Yep, yep. Like you guys can go out and hunt antelope with it, which, which is, is
0: still so awesome.
1: It is very cool. It cannot be understated or overstated how cool it is. So yeah, I want to get some like real load data, and I want to do it with some other powders, and I want to do it with some other bullets too, because maybe maybe we don't always want to shoot a one forty two ABLR. Mm-hmm. Maybe we want to go hyper velocity and shoot a 127 LRX. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's starting over from fresh again. And so like when you pick up a reloading manual and you like start turning the pages, you see 10 different powder charges there. Just apply that process 10 times for every bullet. Uh, yeah bonkers. Um well, so, hopefully
0: it shoots uh, a lot said, of different bullets when you yeah, really hi- well. When you said hyper velocity, I got excited. Because this oh, thing's yeah. already going to go hyper velocity. I mean, if you imagine, there's so much room in this, mm-hmm. and we're at 3,000 feet per second, which, name some other 6.5s that are going 3,000 feet per second.
1: PRC, SOM, Sherman Short Mag, um, and the Shermans are going hotter. And so can the PRC, and so can the SOM. The 65 6.506 AI. Mm-hmm. And how it, how like, fast do you
0: think we can about get with this bad boy?
1: I don't know with this powder. I, I really don't. I, don't. I don't know what the top is. If I look at the Sherman data and I look at the loads that they're shooting, understanding that their cases are smaller and they're probably running higher pressure, mm-hmm. I don't know why we wouldn't be able to achieve thirty three to 3,400 feet per second.
2: Yes. Are you still being conservative? Maybe. I hope you are. Thirty five or
1: <laughs> and if we, look at, if we look at true hyper cartridges like the 26 Nosler, like the six five three hundred Weatherby, and what they're able to do with their case volumes, I think that logic could dictate we're going to end up somewhere in the middle right. of those. Now, mm-hmm. I hold my hands up and I make a space, you know, 24 inches wide, somewhere in the middle of those, like that... They're all going to be very close. I don't think it's going to be remarkably faster than the Sherman. I don't think it's going to be remarkably slower than something like a 26 Nosler, 6.5-300 Weatherby. Mm-hmm. I think it could be more efficient than a 6.5-300 Weatherby or 26 Nosler. I think it has a potential to hand handle heavier bullets better than a 6.5 Sherman. This is a guess at this point in time, but we'll find out. You know, I like the guesses. I, I might think that if we put a really slow powder in there, like H1000, like Reloader 33, like, I don't know if we'll try Rotombo, that's, I don't know, maybe. We might come up with something w- ridiculous, like take the attributes of the high pressure short strong case of the Sherman and apply them to the case volume of the 26 NAS and now all of a sudden we're like light years. Who knows? We'll I like
0: out. that little alternative reality or whatever that we just went into there. Yeah. That one, that one was good. That's what I hope. Let's stay in that space. This thing, this thing if we just are starting to sell you that, it could be a barrel burner.
1: I think it will be. I think anytime you hit that 3,000 foot per second threshold in some of these 6.5s with a, a bullet that weight and with that much bearing surface... I don't know that the expectation is you get a 3,000 round barrel. Well, yeah, you're right. not
0: going to be shooting it at a PRS match. No. for It's going to be too snappy for that anyways. They're Correct. Gonna, they're going to want to shoot. I mean, what's the thing now? 6.5 Creedmoor is like not even cool anymore. No,
1: everybody's like, hey, everybody's like, oh yeah, six,
0: you know, insert acronym after six here. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just, that's I think, what they're all I using. think that's
1: a
2: really important thing to point out though. I mean, we've designed this to be a hunting cartridge. and Ryan, I love you, that.
0: Purpose built.
2: Purpose built hunting cartridge. We want it to be kind of a, a long range, super efficient smoker, yep. you know? And Ryan, we were talking about this downstairs. Like if we did achieve, you know, maybe some of these more quotation mark extreme velocities, right? You know, I mean, Jim, you said your goal was 35, uh, you know, 3,500 or second. nothing. Uh, I like even numbers, so I'm going to say uh, my goal is 36. But that's probably, might not be a good idea. Um, <laughs> however... You know, barrel life, people are like, oh, that's a barrel burner. You're going to burn out a barrel. And, of course, we have no, you know, previous data to go off of. But, Ryan, you were speculating, even at some, you know, maybe like 34-ish, whatever, you're going to get 1,000 rounds out of that barrel. That's a lot of rounds when you're talking about a hunting rifle, I guess. Oh, it is.
1: Oh, yeah. Is. I mean, my dad's been hunting deer since 1972. I don't know that my father's fired 1,000 cartridges in his life. Right. So yeah, for, for a guy like him, like if if he said, Oh, okay, I want to, you know, die in the wall, antelope mule deer cartridge, uh, this is really flat. I don't have to worry about turrets as much, I don't have to worry about holdovers as much, I don't have to worry about wind as much, like lifetime rifle. Right. Mm-hmm. Lifetime rifle. Mm-hmm. Um I burned down a three hundred weatherby, you know, but I shoot a lot and I hand load a lot. But that's kind of an expectation when you get to those numbers. Right. Like you don't buy a Moto GP bike with the intent to race to, MotoGP and be like, oh, I,
0: you know. will daily drive it.
1: I was running at, you know, thirteen, fourteen thousand 14,000 RPMs for two hours, and now I need to rebuild. What the heck? Like, that should be an expectation. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, we'll see. I, I think, like, right now, with respect to the case dimensions, it's running fairly, fairly anemic, fairly trim. I think there's more to go. And I think we'll get there. For the time being, though, it's super huntable, and that's the important part. Um, and it is offering more than a six-five Creedmoor. Not, not that we couldn't have gone a different route that would have been better. Like, I mean, if we were running a six-five Creedmoor with a comparably weighted bullet, you know, you're probably going to be at that twenty-seven hundred foot per second mark. You're three hundred feet per second faster than that right now. That is remarkable. So, yeah, it that's significant. Yes, I just. Look at how beautiful it is. It's a good-looking it case. Beautiful, the whole I, thing. I'm kind of excited to see it with a little bit more in the diameter department. In the what?
0: In the bullet diameter department. Well, how is it? Are you gonna make? We're gonna change it.
1: Well, yeah. Uh, were you in on this conversation? No. Wouldn't it be neat if it had like a seven, a thirty, or thirty-three? Oh in it? wait! Uh, now I know oh, where Oh, now
0: I know what you're talking about. Hmm. Is that some? Uh, I additions to the family. That's some foreshadowing, perhaps. Perhaps. Um, right. But it is it is an interesting thought, though, because you can, in theory, if somebody were to do such a crazy thing, take the same body and just change the neck diameter, essentially, which will change some of the shoulder, I'd have to imagine. A little but, bit. But you just kind of change what a little, bullet it, a diameter little bullet it would tweak. be able to have seated into it, and then you kind of have the next... BC, like hitchcat. a hitchcat, like,
2: like a 338 BC, maybe
0: like a
1: 338 BC. You never know.
0: You never know. I mean, let's say someday it's,
1: you want to go hunt a moose and it you, you wanted bigger and you wanted to push a 250 gray nozzle or acubond over 3,000 feet per second. <gasps> Could you possibly do it with something like this? Possibly.
0: <laughs>
2: That's the bitch cat sound, every. By the way, but we don't have a button for it. We've got Jim. We don't
0: yet. We don't. That's not it, Jim. No, the tree frog definitely does not. Does the tree
2: frog is not aggressive enough. No, not nearly. Well, let me ask this question, Ryan. Yeah. When somebody is wildcatting a cartridge, you know they're they're obviously they're into reloading, they're into shooting, they're they're tinkers, they're always looking for that next better thing. But is it their dream? to have their Wildcat be picked up commercially? Like, is that, or not care?
1: I don't know. I mean, when people write music or make music, is their intent to get a record deal and, like, hit a billboard? I think that depends on the individual. Depends on the artist, yep. Sure. So, yeah, maybe. I don't know.
2: And I'm not even trying to foreshadow, like, this is going to get picked up, you know, but I just didn't know, you know, because... All these cartridges, cartridges started somewhere.
1: Correct. I think for me, I, I like a lot of wildcats. Too. Speaking a lot of wildcats, speaking yeah. personally, like I'm probably 140,000 times more excited that you guys are going to go hunt antelope with this in two days. You know, I just thought of this though, like you're the first one who got to fire
0: the 65 BC, but like in my excitement, I didn't even realize the fact that we would be the first to go and hopefully take game with the 65 BC. What are you going to hunt first? With the 65 BC I mean I it's just I like I said I almost feel criminal for stealing that away from you but by the time I'm not gonna not but by the,
2: I, I'm gonna be <laughs> b- yeah. I mean not bad enough to not do it I'm just saying it's crossed my
0: mind
1: <laughs> what day are you guys getting back
0: I think Sunday
1: okay so yeah. I
0: think we're it's gonna be a turn and burn Wednesday to Sunday Pretty... Wyoming get there in the sub try and shoot six animals
1: <laughs> I'm leaving I'll my... be
2: I'll be so excited if we can
1: <laughs> I'm gonna be leaving Monday night Okay, so I'm almost going to be passing you guys on the highway. Ships
0: passing the night. We'll just do an old like uh, just, in the night. Yeah. We'll throw the rifle over and any leftover ammunition we've got out the window.
1: It should have at least thirty-four rounds. Oh, I left certainly over.
0: hope so. I certainly hope so as well. Yeah. I hope that you can. Where are you going to be? You're going to be going out west too. Yep. So
1: I'm also we'll be going... on one fifty-one together. Yes, I'm going to also be hunting antelope also in Wyoming. Just west of you.
0: How neat would it be if we like geocached all this stuff and we just like dug a hole and we put it in a big giant bag and then and then you just show up, you know, and you just dig it out. Dig it out and you well,
1: here we go. Knowing you guys, you would give me geocache coordinates to something not that rifle and then just be like, wait till I dig it up and be like, oh JK, it's over here. Uh, <laughs> let's get it on film and not edit it out. Uh yeah.
2: We might have to um if we are ships passing in the day or night I mean, the odds are very slim, but it could happen.
1: We'll yeah. we'll work it out. I, honestly, um, not a big deal for me. I, I think it's a really cool thing to have been involved with a, a thing like this when I was a kid. You know, I'll say this about my experience of Vortex in general. If I could have told the 14-year-old version of myself that this is what I would get to do when I grow up, I would have done things way differently, way differently. But then you wouldn't be... Like you what? Were. What would you have done? You'd oh, be different. man, I think I would have... Um, you know, I don't know. There's so many things differently I would have done.
0: But you'd be different than you are now, I and know, then everybody, I, and then it would just be different.
1: Yeah, but it, it's it's just such a cool thing. Like, what did I do at work today? Well, um, I got a napkin out, and a ruler, and a protractor, and um, some dial calipers, and I conceived a cartridge. And then here it is. It's in front of us. I think that's really neat that I even got an opportunity to do that. So whether or not I personally take the first game animal with it, it's somewhat irrelevant. Like, it, it's really interesting to me just to be able to say, like, oh, I was involved with the development of a proprietary cartridge. Ryan, this is why everybody likes you more than us. It's true.
2: Well, Ryan, in this sense, I mean, Jim, we don't know anything about this. Actually, you know what? It's I know sick. a heck of a lot after we've done. You we're know, merely the hosts. The long range stuff. We did reloading to the extreme. I actually know what a lot of these words mean now when we're talking about reloading. I, know, I can't
0: believe it. Um, I knew what he was talking about. He said jumping and jamming.
2: Yeah, jump, jam. You know all all the good stuff there. But we didn't even get into dip, dive, duck, dodge, and dip. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. <laughs> uh
0: can't dodge a bc
2: though where was i going oh with this though even like i've learned a ton and actually i'm I'm not gonna say i'm getting into it but i'm kind of getting into it but ryan's (laughs) like the guy like it's like you know and like he kind of knows the area does all the work and then you know we're just the client pulling the trigger jim and and hopefully hopefully we can knock down you know a few doe antelope the unit we're head. i don't want to get Overly optimistic. Now, where I've hunted antelope before, they're very prolific. They're abundant. Even getting a buck, like if you're just trying to shoot a buck, very doable, right? We've never been here before. No. Very limited public land. Yes. We're going opening weekend. Correct. Probably, I'm, I'm speculating here, but uh, as far as hunter numbers, pressure might be a little bit high. It seems like this year we've seen an influx of... Um, participate hunter participation tags sold out very, very quickly there's there's no leftover tags in this unit and there's a lot of tags in this unit a lot of tags very little public land my hope is that uh anybody hunting this unit has private permission and that might relax the pressure a little bit but it all remains to be seen because we've never been to this area before we might be entering a war zone (laughs) so i just don't want to get i don't i want to let's set realistic expectations
1: yeah how we- fitting, though, that you are entering somewhere you've never been before, and we've entered somewhere we've never been before, and you are doing something you've never done before with something I've never done before. This is just-
0: basically every single one of these pod ventures is just a bunch of doing stuff we've never done before, <laughs> and then everybody gets to laugh at us later on. But hey, we did come out with something that works here. I can't. This thing is going to be so awesome as we continue developing it. I, I genuinely, I am excited to see where it goes from here. Here, here is where some of my optimism comes from, Jim.
2: Yes. So when we we're downstairs, we we're talking about Scott Parks. I love I love Scott. Scott's great. Right. But if you ah, if, just if you want to uh, if you have something new, like let's say you have a new gun or something, any, anything mm-hmm. with the uh, working parts, right? Yes. Show it to Scott because he'll tell you what's wrong with it. Yeah. And then he'll After also he has
0: proceeded to completely take it apart.
2: Yes. If he doesn't understand how one minute thing of the inner workings operates, he will take it apart. Your your brand new. Whatever. Yeah. He'll, he'll take it apart before your very eyes. And it's way um,
0: easier to take things apart than it is to put them back together.
2: Yeah. Ah, oh, did you see where that spring went? No, Scott, <laughs> I didn't because I wouldn't have taken my gun apart. <laughs> love, uh, you. love you, Scott. Love you, yes. But uh, but also, I said, oh, great, here's Scott. Tell us what's wrong with it because this was our shiny new toy. Right. And he didn't have a whole lot to say. He just kind of looked just at it. He stared
0: at it for a long time. And I I liked that. I took that as a big I compliment. Did as well.
1: Anytime, uh, any time, w- with respect to anything, bullet, powder, primer, ca- cartridge, or shooting, if Scott goes, all right, that's a, that's a big deal. It that <laughs> is. That's like going home and showing your art project to your dad, and he's like, doesn't suck. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, really. I didn't even get yelled at for holding the flashlight wrong this time. That's I, the truth. I, it's I like showing, It's like showing
0: something you got to Lightweight Dave, and he goes,
1: huh. Where did you get that?
0: Oh, I just I'm I'm happy enough with just huh right. That's all I, that's all I look for. Gosh, what a 26 years I've had with living with that guy as a brother. But um, anyway, uh, some dark stuff. That <laughs> that was my final thought. That was it a good seemed, final thought. I'm not gonna say Scott approved, but it wasn't Scott it's, it's, disapproved. It's, it's, that's that's right. My final thought that I'll throw out there is be prepared. As we mentioned, not everything's always going to go according to plan. You may have to create some custom tools. Now, we had people create custom tooling for us, but we also had to make our own custom tool. It was a funnel. Yeah. And uh, oh, yeah. we needed a way to get powder into the case. So uh, we look, and there we have a funnel designed by our friends at Hornady uh, that was intended to go on the neck and the profile of the shoulder of a 6'5 Creedmoor to then just kind of just... Right on top, and you pour the powder in, and it doesn't get spilled all over the place. It goes right in the case. But in this case, our case is, case I said a lot there, uh, wider than the 6.5 Creedmoor, bigger. So it didn't fit in there nicely. The first time we tried to pour powder in, it went everywhere. So we took the old chamfer D Bird tool and essentially just reamed the heck out of it until we finally arrived at a place where the funnel would fit nicely over our cartridge. We could pour powder right in and didn't have any spills.
2: Yes, uh, another uh, custom piece of equipment. That's right.
1: A lot of plastic shavings over there. Custom tooling. <laughs> My final thought is um, I'm not a ballistician. I'm not a metallurgist. Um, what were the other things I am not? I'm not a lot of things. That's all. Uh, was, that like, was that
2: your, like, no guarantees <laughs>
1: Oh, or? we're still out in wildcat territory at the moment wildcat at your own risk everybody. this could end up on an episode of the lead balloon
2: as long as it doesn't end up that's all I care about agreed
0: okay thanks everybody stay tuned and uh, hopefully in the next episode we'll tell you about how it performed on wild game so yeah bye thanks Thank bye you. everybody